This podcast is a production of Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, check out our website at communitycovenant.net. Jesus went across the Sea of Galilee in a boat. It landed on the other side. There a large crowd gathered around him. Then a man named Jairus came. He was a synagogue ruler. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and he begged Jesus, Please come. My, my little daughter is dying. Place your hands on her to heal her. Then she will live. So Jesus went with him. A large group of people followed. They crowded around him. A woman was there who had sickness that made her bleed. It had lasted for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal. Even though she had gone to many doctors, she had spent all the money that she had. But she was getting worse, not better. Then she heard about Jesus. She came up behind him in the crowd and and touched his clothes. She thought, I, I just need to touch his clothes. Then I will be healed. Right away, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that her suffering was over. At once, Jesus knew that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and he asked, Who, who touched my clothes? You see the people, the disciples answered. They are crowding against you and you still ask who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around. He wanted to see who touched him. Then the woman came and fell at his feet. She knew what had happened to her. She was shaking with fear, but she she told him the whole truth. He said to her, dear woman, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. You are free from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus. He was the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? But Jesus didn't listen to them. He told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid. Just believe. He let only Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, follow him. They came to the home of the synagogue ruler. There Jesus saw a lot of confusion. People were crying and and sobbing loudly. And he went inside and he said to them, Why all this confusion and sobbing? The child is not dead. She's only sleeping. But they, they laughed at him. He made them all go outside. He took the only... He took only the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him. And he went in where the child was and he took her by the hand. And then he said to her, Talitha kum. This means, little girl, I say to you, get up. The girl was 12 years old. Right away she stood up and she walked around. They were totally amazed at this. Jesus then gave strict orders not to let anyone know what had happened. And then he told her to give her, uh, give her something to eat. Let's pray together. God, this is one of those mysterious stories that 
has a lot of activity around it and speaks uh, even at, at a peripheral look at the power of your kingdom, both represented in the ministry of Jesus, but somehow, some way, expressed in the in the feeble faith of these two characters. Please, God, today, those of us of feeble faith that need to hear a word of power from you, would you speak to us in the name of Jesus Christ? Amen. So how many of you have ever found yourself in a position where you have prayed uh, desperately about something that you really cared about? Anybody? Yeah, I would be surprised if not everybody here raised your hands. Now, um, how, for how many of you did that happen maybe in the last year? Okay, a few. Okay, don't, don't be, uh, I'm not going to trick you by giving an altar call if you keep raising your hand. But you, you see, this is a very common experience for those of us who, uh, who have faith, who believe that God has the power to do something above and beyond sort of the conventional um, wisdom of our, of our day. And in this sermon series that we find ourselves in right now called Wild, we're really taking a look at uh, Jesus, his ministry. But more than that, we're we're trying to do it through the lens of the kingdom so that we can begin to understand um, what Jesus actually brings with him and what he actually means when he talks about kingdom. And one of the characteristics of Jesus' ministry that we probably all know this already is reflective in in this coming kingdom, at least, is that where people are sick, they are often healed. And if you read the Gospels, as we've just finished reading the Gospel, this episode in the Gospel of Mark, you know, with any kind of passing glance, you don't even have to do it very deeply. It's hard to miss the fact, really, that Jesus spent a considerable amount of time healing the sick, giving sight to the blind, and helping the lame to walk. I mean, this is what he does during the course of his ministry, and this gets him in trouble in some places. It attracts a large crowd. In fact, there have been times in my life when I've had a, a difficult time during the week coming up with a sermon where I've thought, God, just give me the, the power to, to do a couple miracles, and it'll be okay. Now, thankfully, that's not the motivation that Jesus had for doing miracles, and that's probably why God has never granted that prayer to me, especially on those rough weeks. But, but this passage that we've just read, if it, if it means anything at all, it clearly is meant to be an expression of the kingdom that Jesus intends to introduce. Uh, it's an expression. Healing is part of the kingdom of God, and, and Jesus wants to make sure that everybody understands that. Now, this has always presented something of a challenge to followers of Jesus when they pray for God to heal in a particular situation, only to have the person for whom they are praying not be healed or worse, even die. And I've prayed those prayers, and I'm sure if I asked you to raise your hands, you probably have too. And in many of those cases, if not all of those cases, the people for whom I've prayed died. I remember uh, when my, my mother was uh, near the end of her life. This was uh, back in 2001. And uh, she, had, she had declined slowly over years, and all of a sudden 
the decline uh, got a lot steeper. And uh, I was living in the East Coast at the time in, in uh, Jamestown, New York. And, and so we had to quickly jump on a plane and make arrangements for our kids to be uh, cared for. And, and Roxy and I flew out to Seattle. And um, we, we showed up in her, her room in the acute care center at uh, Covenant Shores, which is a, uh, our church, uh, our, our denomination, um, uh, owns a, about 14 or 15 three-level care retirement communities all over the country. So she was in great care, but she was nearing the end of her life. And when we got there, um, I can still see it as if it was just yesterday today. She was kind of curled up in a, in a, a little bit of a ball and... Um, and she wasn't conscious. And I thought, you know, all, all this to come see this. And I remember standing there and praying to God, God, you know, can, can I just get one more chance to, to speak to my mom? And if, I, if not, that's okay too. And I remember adding that little caveat because as a, as a pastor, you become more sophisticated in your prayers and you, you, you want to leave as many options as you can, Right. Well, uh, we left that day and we came back the next and we walked into her room and her bed was empty. And you know what that usually means, right? And the nurse came uh, into, the, into the room and she said, oh, are you looking for Elizabeth? And we said, yeah. She goes, oh, she's, she's out um, having lunch in the cafeteria. <laughs> so we walk out there. And there she is, sitting up, eating lunch, and having a good old time. And, uh, and, and my wife and I sat with her, her and talked with her, and she didn't make a whole lot of sense, but she was, she was uh, as amazingly well. And then, a, and then a day or two later, we came back to see her, and she was back in this other condition, and then she ultimately passed away. And I've heard people tell stories about uh, uh, who, who are around uh, death and dying, who, who say that that happens all the time. There's kind of this moment at the end, right before someone's going to pass into eternity, where they kind of become aware and communicative. And, and God gave me that gift. And I don't know if he was answering my particular prayer at that moment or not, but, uh, but I took it that way. Because it gave me a chance to, to have burned into my memory, not this, this frail, feeble woman at the end of her life, passing from this life into the next, but it gave me an image of, of a, a woman sitting up, eating, uh, and, and asking me questions about my life that I'll, I'll take with me to my own grave. But that doesn't change the dilemma that we often face when we read passages of Scripture like this. We naturally ask the question, if God's kingdom is marked by healing, then, then why do our prayers for healing seem to, to go unnoticed by the great physician? Some of us may have even gotten to the place where we're a little bit cynical, or maybe we've even already rejected Jesus because our prayers for healing were not answered and that was the last straw. That, there may be a couple people here for whom that's true. Now, now this topic of healing is, is a large and, and fairly complicated theological topic. And I, now I can only hope to sort of scratch the surface of this today, but let me say this to you from the outset that if you've ever prayed earnestly for healing, 
for yourself or for somebody else, and your prayers appear not to have been answered, you are not alone. In fact, you are in the company of many people sitting around you here today, uh, including myself, but you are also in the company of biblical characters like Jairus, whose daughter was sick and died before Jesus could show up to heal her. You are in the company of a woman who had a bleeding problem her whole life. And one can assume that that she was no stranger to this prayer of healing that calls out to God with no apparent response from God to her prayer. So if you've ever prayed a prayer for healing and it has not been answered in the way that you hoped, this sermon in, in some small way is for you. Well, in the Gospel of Mark, we have uh, uh, Mark introducing us to a religious leader named Jairus, who, who was a ruler in the synagogue of Jesus' day. This meant that he was probably in a position of pretty high social prominence in that culture. It probably also meant that he had some uh, level of wealth. And it also meant that he was a man of great religious devotion to God. So we know that about Jairus just because of his occupation. And this man of, of great authority, we are told in the Gospel of Mark, falls at the feet of Jesus and begs him, literally begs him to heal his daughter. And this is how the text, this is how Mark says it. He says, seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and he pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter's dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and lived. And so Jesus went with him, the text says. Now, Tim Keller uh, makes the observation that this little girl is as good as dead. Because that would be the only thing that would prompt a religious leader of, of the kind of prominence of Jairus to, to uh, in, his, in his, his sense of desperation, to approach sort of this, this charlatan miracle worker, which he probably had his suspicions about all along. But isn't it the case that when we are most desperate, that's when we are most willing to do desperate things. And I think that's exactly what Jairus is doing here. It took a considerable act of courage, really, on the part of Jairus to put aside all of his preconceived ideas about his religious practice to approach this Galilean miracle worker. Jesus, you, you remember, was not a part of the in crowd of the religious establishment. He was an outsider who wandered around on the, on the fringe of, of that society proclaiming the kingdom of God and the religious uh, community didn't want to have anything to do with him. Yet Jairus, in his desperation, does exactly that. He approaches Jesus. And so Jesus and Jairus and his disciples begin to hurry off to Jairus' home so that Jesus can, to, uh, can attend to Jairus' daughter before she dies. And what, what this, this passage of Scripture that we are looking at today really uh, illustrates for us, at one level at least, is that desperate people do desperate things, Right? And you can cut that in a variety of ways, but, but when you are really at, at the end of your rope, you are willing to, to set aside some of your um, 
um, reputation, as in Jairus' case, to, to see your daughter get healed. And on the way to Jairus' house, crowds of people, were told in the Scripture, begin to, to, to recognize Jesus. You know, he was a semi-celebrity. And, and they began to press in around him. And I imagine Jairus had this, this single-minded desire to, to get Jesus to his daughter. And as the crowds began to impede that desire, Jairus was probably beginning frustrated because he knew that time was of the essence. And the longer it took Jesus to get from where they were to where his daughter lay dying, it diminished the possibility that she would be healed. And in the midst of the crowd, a woman, we are told, came up who had been bleeding for 12 years. She pushed toward Jesus. And even though she had seen a doctor after doctor after doctor trying to find the cure for her, her condition, it was to no avail. And perhaps... For her, just like for Jairus, in an act of desperation, because desperate people do desperate things, right? In this act of desperation, she, just like Jairus, set all of the social conventions aside about ritual cleanliness. And she pressed close to Jesus in the midst of the crowd. And Mark describes how this woman came up behind Jesus and she reached out and and she touched his cloak because she thought if she just touched Jesus, she would be healed. Now think about it for a moment. The extent of her own desperation as she hears of this, this traveling preacher this healer who happens to be in town. And she stops doing the dishes and she puts on a clean set of clothes and she runs out the door looking for this miracle worker because maybe, just maybe, in her own desperation to be healed, he will do it. And at that moment when the woman touches Jesus, we read that Jesus realizes that power had gone out from him. The word that Mark uses to describe this power is dunamis. That's the Greek word, which is the same word from which we derive our English word. Did anybody want to take a guess? Dunamis. What English word do we use? Dynamite. That's right. This power that went out from Jesus was the dynamite of God. Jesus recognizes that this dunamis has gone out from him, and he turns to see who has received this power. And Jesus loses power so that this woman can gain it. Which, by the way, is the mark of the kingdom. And Jesus will ultimately lose power by his own death on a cross so that those who believe will gain it. One thing that we discover about healing when it comes to Jesus, in this particular passage at least, Jesus' time isn't necessarily our time. As Jesus looks for this person who, who touched his cloak, imagine J- Jairus again, desperate. 
And Jesus is just kind of fooling around trying to find this woman. And Jairus is probably standing there with his arms folded and he's directing his people to try to clear the crowds. And, and there Jesus is standing and he's talking with this woman who has suffered from this malady for 12 years. And, and what does it matter if she must wait a little longer to be healed? He must wonder to himself. The text doesn't say this, but I suspect that Jairus is wondering why must Jesus spend his time with someone who has a chronic condition that she's had for years instead of his little girl who has an acute condition that she may die any moment. Right? Priority. Priority of, of care. Triage, I guess is what they call it in the medical world. Think about this for a second. It it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. Any good doctor would look at these two situations and they would choose the more acute condition over the chronic condition every day. Anyone knows that if you come upon a car accident and you have someone with superficial cuts and bruises on the one hand and someone with a severed leg with blood spurting every place, you've got to help the more acute condition first, right? But apparently Jesus didn't, didn't get that memo on this particular day. Jesus, you see, will not be hurried. And as Jesus is addressing this woman, some men came from the house of Jairus, as we read a moment ago, and told them what he feared would happen. They said, your daughter is dead. And then they said, why why bother this teacher anymore? In effect, he can't be any more help. And Jesus, standing there talking to this woman, giving her all of his attention, must have overheard this conversation. And he turned to Jairus and he looked right at him and he said, Don't be afraid, just believe. What Jesus is essentially saying to Jairus is, Trust me. Trust me. We don't need to be in a hurry. My time isn't necessarily your time, Jairus. Everything will be okay. But Jesus, Jesus, don't you understand that my daughter is now dead? And it's a lot harder to heal a dead girl than heal the living. Jesus' time is not Jairus' time. Jesus' time for healing is not necessarily our time. Last week I uh, performed a wedding ceremony that was held outdoors here in beautiful Alaska. And I noticed that the wedding party had thoughtfully put out some mosquito repellent because... Uh, as you know, they've been particularly brutal this year. I, I wouldn't know that from experience, but that's what people tell me. And so uh, I dosed up on this stuff, and, and I'm standing uh, kind of off to the side, and the guests are seated in the outdoors, and the musician is over here waiting. And, and the musician didn't have any mosquito repellent on, so he was you know, doing this sort of thing. And... Uh, Ten minutes went by and there was no wedding party. And twenty minutes went by and there was still no wedding party. And, and the musician and I were there waiting and ready to do our thing. And, and the guests were sitting patiently swatting mosquitoes and waiting. Uh, and, and there was no wedding party. 
So I went back and, you know, I said, you know, are we going to do a wedding here? <laughs> or, you know, what's, what's up? Oh, yeah, we're just kind of waiting. We think some people may have been lost. Okay, all right. Uh, you know, in some cultures, it's perfectly acceptable for uh, events to start a little late. You know, if you, if you come from South America or Africa, you might be invited to an event that starts at, at such and such a time, but that usually means that the first people won't start showing up till at least an hour or an hour and a half later. And, that, and when we were living in Africa, at first that was just maddening to me. But after a while, you kind of get used to it, and you show up about an hour to an hour and a half late, and things are just getting going. All of this to say, all of this to say, that God's sense of timing when it comes to healing is not our sense of timing, no matter what culture we come from. If Jesus isn't in a hurry, then we should not be in a hurry. When Jesus looks at Jairus in this text and he says, trust me. He is in effect saying to us, I will not be hurried. I love you. And even though my timing seems irrational, even though your prayers for healing don't appear to be answered the way that you desire for them to be, I am the one who heals. I am the one who knows the power of God. The dynamite of God goes from me. I know when that happens. So while we continue to pray for healing, we must never lose sight of this. If we can't trust God and God's time, when it comes to our most desperate prayers for healing, when can we trust Him? So here's what I think this text speaks to for us today on this Bear Paw weekend in Eagle River, Alaska. What, what we really need. Tim Keller makes this observation again that it's precisely because of the delay of both Jairus' daughter and the woman that we see in this text that both of these healings the prayers of those who supplicated for them, they got way more than they asked for. And in the same way, when we go to Jesus with our most desperate prayers for healing, when we are at the end of our rope and we have exhausted all of our, of our resources and our abilities and we've, and we've called in all the chips with our friends and we've, and we've called the, the specialists or we've done this or we've done that, we must be prepared to give to and get more from Jesus than we bargained for. And it may not look like we think. So be patient when you pray. Because Jesus doesn't always give you what you expect. Often we get more than we anticipated. Now getting back to the story really quickly as we land this plane here. Jesus said to the disciples, excuse me, Jesus and his disciples eventually arrive at Jairus' house and he takes the, the family and a, and a few of the disciples in with them as they go to see the daughter. And as they arrive, in this culture, you understand this, 
that when somebody dies, there are professional mourners that show up and they beat their breast and they cry and they wail because that's what you do when, some, when a loved one dies. You know, we're, we're too stoic for that in our culture, unless you're from one of those hot-blooded uh, cultures like Spain or Brazil or something. Anyway, um, but for the most part, th- th- Jesus arrived and there's all this commotion and all this crying. And Jesus takes his disciples in to see this girl. And he takes this little girl by the hand. He says, little girl, I say to you, get up. And, and the scripture says that the little girl got up and walked around. And Mark says, as they were, uh, as she did this, all of those in the room were completely astonished. Now, I um, have lately been watching a television series called The Walking Dead. Anybody here watch this show? Oh, good. There's a few of us. You know, we, we need to stick together because you, can, you have to have a certain sense of morbidity to like watching dead people, zombies walking around. Anyway, so I've been watching this show and it's, it's sort of a, a post-apocalyptic story of a small group of survivors who are trying to live in the midst of a world that is being taken over by zombies. You know, right? So every show, you know, you got zombies walking around and these people are dodging them and, you know, doing pretty gruesome things to just survive. And they must avoid these walking dead people because if they get scratched or bitten, then they too will die and come back to life as zombies. Now, this story of Jesus healing this little girl is not a post-apocalyptic zombie narrative. This is a story of the power of the kingdom and the Lord of that kingdom who, when asked to bring healing, He brings something much more significant. He brings resurrection. Jairus had just enough faith to believe that if he could get Jesus to visit his sick daughter, Jesus could heal her before she died. That was the extent of Jairus' faith. But Jesus demanded more from Jairus than he expected. Jesus requested that, that this religious leader not only have trust in Jesus to heal, but he required that Jairus exercise that trust even in the face of the death of his own daughter. And then, watch Jesus Bring the dead to life. Or or consider this sick woman who came to Jesus for healing. She just wanted to touch him and be healed and go on her way. She wanted to get better and move on. But Jesus, recognizing the power of God, had left him. He wanted this woman to go public. Uh Uh-uh, not so fast. Who touched me? She, she had this sort of this superstitious understanding of Jesus' healing ministry. If she snuck up from behind him and touched him on the hem, on his garment, then she would be healed and nobody would be the worse off and she could go on her way. And, and in this case, she would ultimately be in control of her own healing. And, and, and he called her out from the crowd and says, wait, where is that person that just touched me? And Mark says that the woman came out of the crowd and she fell at Jesus' feet with trembling and with fear and told Jesus the whole truth. And then look what Jesus says to her. 
He says, in the midst of the crowd now that's gathering around, as, as uh, Jairus is pulling on Jesus' cloak to go one direction, uh, Jesus says this, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be free from your suffering. Just like Jairus, just like this woman, if you go to Jesus, he may ask more of you than you planned or intended to give to him. I'm just warning you. But remember this, Jesus can give you infinitely more than you dare to ask or believe. So in this story of healing, both of these characters that we've looked at this morning, out of their own sense of desperation, approach Jesus with their own sort of preconceived ideas and notions of what their own healing should look like, right? They had, their, they had it on their mind. And in both cases, Jesus gave them much more than they bargained for. Jesus knew that the power to heal or the power to raise someone from the dead wasn't that different. Jesus had access, perhaps, to facts about each of these healing moments that those who were asking for healing didn't know at the time. It may very well be that some of you uh, here today have been praying for healing in your life for many, many years. Perhaps you've been praying for healing for your marriage and there's nothing, nothing happening. It's more of the same. Perhaps you've been praying for a child who, who uh, struggles in school and uh, you, you pray that they would suddenly find within themselves the ability to focus and to learn without parent-teacher meetings up the yin-yang and, and remediation, but nothing changes. Or maybe you're praying for someone you love to be healed from a mysterious lump or a rapid decline in their health, and God does not appear to be listening to your prayers. When it comes to our prayers for healing, hear me, when it comes to our prayers for healing, I believe that God is in the business of healing as much now as He was then. The only difference is is that, that we come to our prayers believing that we have sufficient information to know the best way for God to answer our prayers when in actual fact what God may be asking of us is to give up trying to manage our prayers and simply trust God for God's best outcome. Did you catch that? Trust God for God's best outcome. You see, when, when God delays the answer to our prayers, perhaps God is asking us to give something up. Give something over. And, and give in to our own propensity to manage God like we do everything else in our life. God delaying, is God delaying something in your life? Are your prayers going unanswered? Are you getting impatient with God? God's timing is not our timing. The answer to our prayers is more about whether we are prepared, you and I, to trust Jesus 
than God's capacity to answer. Just like that day with Jairus' daughter, Jesus comes alongside us and he says to us, Trust me. Trust me. Jesus holds us by the hand and says, It's not for you to know the time or the reason why your prayer is not answered the way you think. Just trust me. Can you do that? And so if you are among those here today who find yourself praying for healing to no avail, this is not an excuse to give up. It is just a window into praying a little bit differently. This is not my suggesting to you that you should become discouraged. Just trust the one who has the power to heal both those for whom you pray and the power to heal you in the process of your praying even now. Jesus is giving us a vivid picture of what the kingdom looks like. And the one whose power goes out from the touch of a woman in the midst of the crowd is the same one whose kingdom brings healing and resurrection. And it is to this end that I pray. What I would love for you to do now with me is to join me in praying a very simple prayer It'll show up on the screen. It's on three slides. It's not complicated. There's no big words. And, I, and, and by praying this prayer, I'm not forcing you to say something that maybe you wouldn't want to say. I, I think this prayer reflects what this text I've been describing for you today, I think, is about. So would you join me in praying this prayer with me now? Jesus, I need to be healed. Forgive me for my impatience and lack of faith. Jesus, I need to be healed, but not in my time, only and always your time. And in the meantime, give me the courage to trust you with my life, regardless of the outcome of my prayers. Jesus, I need to be healed, and so I wait. Amen.